Hey everybody, I'm Tom Corbett. And I'm Justin St. Louis. And this is Uncommon Deeds. Back in Better Than Ever, part two with Brian Hoare, our special two-part week here on Uncommon Deeds. If you haven't yet, go check out part one. I think subsequently you could probably listen to either of these in order, but, you know, chronologically speaking, I would start with part one and then come to part two. You were saying on Wednesday that uh, I, I was getting merch ideas. And we should come up with a, like a little pin or a hat or something that says, I survived parts one and two of Brian Hoare on Uncommon Deeds. In succession. In succession. If we've got any two-part heroes, you let us know. Yeah. Drop we'll us the message if you're waiting and you're doing the straight, you know, sitting on the on the deck. It's going to be a nice weekend this weekend. Oh, yeah. It's supposed to be sunny and warm. Just sitting on the deck. Maybe some Merlot or a... Uh, some other type of adult beverage. I don't, I don't really drink, so. Right. And not, no, you were on the right track. Yeah. I don't, a beer. I don't have a large a beer, well maybe. to go to. Because <laughs> uh. there's well drinks. I know that. Um, but <sighs> if you uh, if you curl up for the full three-hour extravaganza, let us know. Mm-hmm. Part two, we're going to get into, you know, the tail end of the career, how it ended for him and what he's got going on the horizon with uh, perhaps some new whores hitting the uh, high banks. Yeah. Interesting stuff. And um, I guess I never thought of Brian Hoare as a car owner, but here we are in 2021 and he's got a pair. Um, cool to see the next generation coming along. And well, of course his, his uh, son, Justin Prescott's already been racing, doing well for himself. Um, the one show I went to last year at the road, he, he just killed them in the, warrior race dominated um so it'll be cool to see him in a tiger and and brian's daughter in a street stock and you'll find out a little bit more about that coming up and uh, we know this has been a lot of audio for you for the week so we're not going to wax poetic on this open we're going to get right back into our conversation with brian Hoare. mentioned it a little earlier how did becoming a dad and the family life alter how you looked at racing or did it? Um, well, I had a drastic effect early on, obviously, uh, you know, cause I think you've got that harsh reality that you're no longer, you know, racing for yourself, you're racing for your family and, uh, or I should, you're living, you're living not just for yourself. Cause all of a sudden you're, you're kind of going from, in my case, uh, the selfish, uh, teenage kid to 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 married to you know still acting like a teenager even though i was 27 years old and um uh you know my daughter all of a sudden making me realize that (laughs) this is you know you got to start thinking about things besides for yourself and and um it was funny though because i will tell you the first time i ever had a thought about driving a race car that made my question my sanity and that was at dover delaware at Dover, Delaware, my first race at Dover, Delaware. I mean, I, I subsequently learned to love the place. I really, really did. It was just a big thunder road, but, uh, you know, a big one that you're doing 165 miles an hour down the straightaways. That's a big one. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and the first time it was funny because some of the NASCAR guys used to pick on me um, officials wise, because, because they could see I liked it and I ran good there. Um, but not the first time, the first time there, I was scared shitless. I mean, absolutely scared shitless. And I remember before the green flag, and this is the first, this is the first and only time. Cause it's still, I remember it going down the back straightaway before the green flag. I was mired in traffic. I was back where, you know, with the squirrels and you get your nuts crushed. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck am I doing out here? I've got family and they're all, and, and, and they're in the infield. We borrowed my, my parents' motorhome and they're in the infield. And I'm like, this is fucking stupid. Um, and moments later, the green flag flew and I was like, yeah, this is awesome. But you know, I had that moment and, and it's the only time I ever thought this is really, really stupid. I, I, I shouldn't be out here. I get killed out here. Um, and then the green flag flew and, um, and the adrenaline started going and, I was in my glory having fun, but uh, I had some close calls. I mean, I wrecked the shit out of one car there. Oof. I, uh, I did some, I did some stupid stuff there, tried some stuff that didn't work or work for part, part of the time. But uh, I was running the outside groove there. And, and, uh, and I remember Jamie Obi after the race, Oh, this is after my right front tire cut down and I went into the wall and uh, after the race, he came over to see if I was okay. And he goes, uh, and at this time, you know, he wasn't with a super competitive team and whatnot. It wasn't the Jamie Obi of old, but, but he also had still tons of experience. And he came over and said, you know, you were running up high by yourself. Now you got to remember you're on a cement track. And when you're running up high by yourself, everybody's laying the rubber down here. Now, yeah, you were able to run fast because it's really grippy. You know, it's really abrasive up there, but you're only going to run really fast for so long because you're on your own up there laying rubber and meanwhile it's like sandpaper it's shredding your tires Mm -hmm. down here tires are going to last you're not quite as fast but you're in the groove you're with all the rubber and you got to work with everybody else to move the lane up you can't do it yourself Um, i'm sure the guys all appreciated all the rubber you laid up there because i think andy santer ended up winning it on the outside at the end but um yeah, I learned some, you know, harsh lesson there, but Dover was awesome. It was amazing. But uh, the kids definitely affected me. It affected me a lot more in 2015, though. I mean, that's why I got done racing. Um, well, was- I want to, uh, you know, we'll spend some more time at, towards the end of this conversation about that because things are changing with that, uh, with racing as well. But um, so, you know, the Bush North deal kind of fizzles out by the end of uh, 05 and 06. Um, Won the track championship at Loudon. I don't want to. I don't want to discount that in 2006. I mean, you you guys were really good on the mile tracks. Yeah, we. You know, that was my Daytona Motor Speedway. That's what I always said. You know, it was a dream dream come true to go through the tunnel at Loudon, and, and I always loved the place. Um, you know, I started racing there in 2000. It was the first time I'd ever gone there. It was in 2000, and um, we had some great success and came came really really close to winning races. And I think I finished second and third there. In t- 2006 mm-hmm. and we uh, and sat on a pole or two there i mean we we again we were really fast we bought a car from tommy baldwin racing that was uh god by then you know i i want to i want to say by 2006 we had five cars and we it's like we were collecting car collectors we were you know we had a road course specific car that was from down south and it was built for a road course the bush series um, got away from road racing for a little while there. And we've had a brand new car from, I can't remember the team, but David Green was the driver, made 15 laps at Watkins Glen, bought a brand new car from them for dirt cheap. And um, 
And then we bought this race car from Dave, uh, from Baldwin. And, and that was the one that I won the championship with. Um, as I recall, won a pole and, and ran really well with it. But, um, again, just never, never sealed the deal. Um, but it was cool. You know, we had some, again, just amazing races. You know, we got to go out to the Toyota All-Star Showdown at uh, Irwindale. What a racetrack, you know, just amazing racetrack. And Dover was fantastic. Um, I can't, cannot not mention the road courses. I fell in love with the road courses. I mean, I really fell in love with Lime Rock and Watkins Glen. I always felt like, uh, give me, give me some time. And I'd have been a really, really, really good road racer. I really loved it. Um, you almost won Watkins Glen when you're. Yeah. A couple times, actually, we finished second there a couple times. I think we finished second at Lime Rock once. And, um, yeah, a matter of fact, it was, uh, Brad Layton that won, that was his one and only, uh, road course win. And we were coming like a freight train. Um, what I got told at the end of that race. And, and I, that's one of those ones where, you know, probably Pete Fecto, that, that whole episode, uh, replayed in my mind. I don't know. I, um, I, I know after that race, many people said, you should have moved him. <laughs> you should have moved him. He'd have moved you. <laughs> I caught Brad Layton on the final lap at Watkins Glen and, and uh, it was turn 10 and 11. So I was on him coming off the carousel, the big carousel turn, going down to turn 10, and which then turn 11 and then the start finish line. And I had set him up, but uh, the only way I was going to do it was to give him a little, give him a little shot in the last turn. That's just not how I raced, but uh, it was fun to still finish second to Brad Layton at Watkins Glen and putting show on and coming across start finish line, you know, with my, with my nose underneath his, coming across the finish line it was fun it was a great race i loved Watkins Glen. i loved i loved road racing a lot i learned a lot too and it was really really different obviously so tell us about 2007 and the decision to return to the act tour yeah well to that back to 2006 you know we just decided it was it was time um you know we we um saw the writing on the wall they had in 2003 it went from the bush north series to what was called the grand national east division and it was becoming a feeder series or a uh, stepping stone series for the cup uh, all the cup influence and the cup team owners really kind of put a lot of pressure on nascar what they needed was more opportunity for these young drivers showing up with money um to race and to build the race teams, you know, build the crews, build their team, the, the pit stop teams and everything else. So here's an interesting little factoid for you. In 2006 at Loudoun, here we are racing. Um, my spotter is one of these guys, uh, well, that, at that time, Peter Abair, good friend, best friend, one of my best friends. At most, you know, all my race team were good friends. And, and he, uh, I remember him, he said in 2007, we, we raced one Bush North race. Now, mind you, we had, we'd come back and built ACT cars, but this is just an interesting little fact at where the series was going. And we knew this is where it was going. That was my last Bush North race or grand national East race at the time it was in uh, Loudoun at 2007 from Loudoun, 2006 to Loudoun, 2007. Our garage area was nine tractor trailers. We had one, we had a, we, we had bought a toter home and it was a stacker trailer and there was nine of them in the Bush North series in 2006 in our garage area in 2007, there was 33 tractor trailers, nine to 33. Suddenly I was racing against Goss Dodge racing was, was racing against Hendrick motorsports, Gibbs racing, DEI, uh, all of them, all of them were racing against some kid named Joy Logano in a last year's, uh, Brickyard 400 winning 
because they changed the rules. A Brickyard 400 winning um, championship car, and Joy Logano's got this thing. You should have seen this work of art come across through the tech area. We're, we're looking at it. We're going, what the hell are we doing here? You know, it was like we let, left the Bush North series and we entered Cup Light or Xfinity Light. It was insane. Over the winter. <laughs> Over the winter. Over the winter. Yep. And um, if I had a claim to fame, it was I finished fifth, I believe, yep. in, in that race. And and I I was really trying hard to beat this guy in fourth named Landon Castle. Joy Logano was in the win. Uh, and I don't uh, and uh, one of the Boucher boys was in second or third. These are all cup guys now. Mm-hmm. I was the first Bush North regular or Grand National East regular. I, not that I was a regular anymore, but it was my one race, and uh, we finished fifth. I think I think Kobolek was like just behind me or something. You know, I mean, it was it was crazy. Um, so we knew we made a right decision. That's why we made the decision. We said we can't compete with these guys. They're coming with cup technology. Uh, they had changed and they allowed from, they went from 105 inch wheelbase to allow the 110 inch wheelbase cup cars that year in 2006, they allowed, you know, you work your ass off and you're building these, these, uh, these big dollar engines. And we had, you know, just blown our load on a, we just spent so much money and time and energy on this Dodge engine. And they come out with a spec engine, $20,000 spec engine that makes more horsepower. It's aluminum from top to bottom, lighter than shit. It's a dream motor. And we're like, you just made all of our engine packages worthless. So Joy, what were you spending on? uh, What were you spending on a built motor at that point? Oh, that motor, I, 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 I don't even want to say, Justin, but I, oh, I mean, on. Four, 45,000 was on the light side. Yeah. 45,000 was on the light side for that stupid Dodge motor we built. And, and, and it was a problem motor. I mean, I blew it up at Dover. I blew, I, we had, I blew it up at the motor mile. I'm leading at the fucking motor mile in Virginia and uh, blow it up. <laughs> it's a badass car in 2000, early 2006, I think it was. I remember I'm just, you know, running up front at Dover and the top three or top four and blow it up. And, but it was junk. And, and of course, or 2005, rather. Then 2006, they introduced this fucking spec engine. And everybody's like, what? And, of course, Andy Santer's got one. And he wasn't driving at that moment. I think it was when Sean Case was driving. Um, but they come out and just kick our ass. And we're like, and he had been testing it, too, because it changed everything. It was a super light motor. All of a sudden, you had these big cast iron motors, and you put a spec engine in, and you just shaved, you know, 150 pounds off the front of the car. You had to change some shit around in your car to make it handle it again, you know. But uh, but it was a tremendous advantage still. You know, it was more horsepower, more torque, and lighter. Why would nobody? Uh, why would anybody want to run one of your old engines just for less than it? half the price? Yeah, throw them in the you know they're junk now, you know. And so, and all of a sudden, you know, the, when, when Joey Logano shows up with this car and, and uh, don't get me wrong, the kid is insanely talented and, uh, but you know, just, you're not gonna, it's really, really struggling from South Burlington, Vermont to be able to compete with those guys. So we decided to come back ACT racing and, and I was really, really good friends with Gene Sear talking to him all the time. He's like, you've got to come back. Now, of course he's dominating like, like hell and, um, you got to come back and race with me. You got to come back and race. You got to come back and race. And things had changed a lot on the tour. The tour was really growing. It was getting more diversified. There was a lot of drivers coming in the joy poles of the world. 
Um, a lot of drivers coming in from out of state now. So it wasn't such a localized thing. It was appealing. It was looking really appealing. So, you know, we, we tried to do everything that we could to, to come out of the uh, box swinging and be really competitive. Um, I think we wasted a shit ton of money and we definitely didn't do everything right out of the box. Um, and I know that crystal ball of hindsight, you can certainly look and see all the stupid things you did wrong. You know, I've still got some shock extensions. If anybody wants to buy them, just going to ask about that. They're really fucking expensive though. You're going to have to pay a lot of money to get my shock extensions, but um, I've so, still got, well, how, how much of a, how much of a reality check was that for you to, you know, literally you six months before your track champion at New Hampshire setting a, a record that lasted until, I don't know, one of the cup guys beat it and whatever. And then you're back three weeks into ACT and you get this massive fine. Yeah. We, we, uh, you know, um, you, you lose a lot more races than you win. Uh, racing is a humbling, humbling sport. It doesn't matter how good you are as good as, is in much success as we had seen, you know, we got our ass handed to us when we came back and it was completely frustrating. You know, I mean, I mean, shit, we showed up with our, we, you know, we showed up with the toter home with the, with the stacker trailer and two brand new ACT late malls. Cause one wasn't enough. I was, I was fresh. I had been freshly hired to do the PR for ACT and, and for Tom. And I made way too big of a deal out of you returning <laughs> as it turns out yes, uh, yes. because yeah, you were nowhere to be found. And then, like I said, three weeks in or whatever it was, uh, you're out of it before it even starts really. Yeah. It's, it's actually the shock extension story is really kind of funny now because I, I, uh, you know, after having a bunch of years and, and I, it was unbelievably frustrating for all of us. We just made a mistake when we were ordering um, the chassis got built a certain way. And I'm going to mess this up to a degree, but let's just say there was uh, a nine inch shocks on the front. It's supposed to be seven inch shocks on the back. And uh, we screwed up. Now, mind you, what we had heard and what we knew was all of a sudden they had these, uh, 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 the yellow uh, shocks. What the hell were they? Coney. Uh, yeah, so the Coney shocks, we'd heard there was a lot of inconsistencies in them, but they were attacking the hell out of shocks. And mind you, we were really, at this point, had learned how important shocks were because we're rebuilding our shocks every freaking week in the Bush North Series and Grand National Division. So um, we're like, well, you, you, you can't take these things apart. You can't cheat them up. So the thing to do is to buy 30 shocks pick the best ones out of them, you know, the, the most rebound, best compression, and then sell the rest. So we're like, let's do it. So literally did that. But we bought all, I'm going to say nine-inch shocks or seven-inch shocks. So I think I had it wrong. It was seven-inch on the front, nine-inch on the rear is the way my chassis was built. <laughs> well, we're building, we're frantic, we're doing all our stuff. When it was all said and done, I got two brand-new cars, powder-coated, black, never done black before. They're beautiful, gorgeous cars, black. And all the shocks we got were wrong for the rear of the car. They were too long. We we just plain messed up and, and ordered the wrong shocks. They were too short. They were too short. So my uncle, being the machinist engineer guy he is, and at this point in his career, you know, is is he's still helping us full time with tires at the racetrack. But I mean, on the race cars, Neil is dialed in. Carl Osha had joined us in 2005 from the Pard Brothers Racing. 
So, I mean, I, I had two guys that were unbelievably talented, fabricators, chassis specialists. So they became co-crew chiefs. I mean, it was unbelievable. The race team was so strong, but we made this one mistake. Well, Frankie just goes, well, I'll just make shock extensions. I can machine those things. We had a little, we had all, the, we had everything we needed to do it right there. He made all my shock extensions. I'll just make little two-inch shock extensions. No problem. Bolt them on the car. You're getting bolt them on the, on, on the shock and go. Well, what happened was guys like Rick Paya, because you can only imagine that later in life, we get to have a lot of intimate conversations about shit like this. And, um, you know, the, everybody in ACT was like, what are those, what are those son of a bitches doing? These guys are coming from the Bush North series. They're coming from the grand national East. They know something we don't. <laughs> so we're sitting there talking to Curly going, no, we're telling the truth. No, we just screwed up. We ordered the wrong shocks. And, and so rather than just, you know, try to, we can't, we can't even sell them because nobody else was dumb enough to buy this shit. So, so we're we're just making use of them. We built these little shock extensions. They're this big. They don't do anything. Look, you know, and and Dean's like, no, 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 because he had such a. Again, we're not all on the same page. He had such a problem with guys doing bump stopping and all that all yeah. that crap. Yeah. We weren't trying to do any of that. It was really genuine. So the mistake I made was, you know, when the tech inspector Dean and I, and I do respect Dean for the way he played it. I, I looking back, I do at the time I was not happy with the decision, but uh, I made a crucial mistake there. And it was right here. All on me. Dean said, no, so, <laughs> I, I did. I, I ran to Tom, I'm like Tom, oh boy, Tom, Tom, you know, well, Tom doesn't know that Dean had just said, no. So I go to Tom and Tom's like, well, that sounds reasonable to me. We'll talk it. We'll, we'll talk this weekend at the track, but you know, I think he dropped the, but you better have a set of other shocks there just in case kind of thing, you know? Well, that pretty much meant we can run our shock extensions, right? So let's do it. Well, shortly thereafter obviously tom got filled in by dean i said fucking no mean no means no and tom backed him up and i don't blame him and so we got penalized big time so that was a that was a that was another lesson i told you we're still learning the rest of the year you know you were just kind of there uh, i mean and i'm not i'm not saying that to put you down but you're just kind of there but it's not it's really not even worth talking about that year because well, of what was well, go ahead <laughs> there was two things that happened that year that was really crucial. And it was in, in part of it, part of it was again, the ironies here. It's amazing. It was at white mountain motorsports park right after I raced loud. So we raced loud and we finished fifth in my trailer is my Bush North car and my ACT car. When I went to Loudon. So we are at Loudon on Wednesday. We race our ass off. We work our ass off. There's nothing easy about it. Um, and we have a great finish and then we go, I think we must've raced. I think we raced on a Friday. I can't even remember because obviously we made it to the Saturday night white mountain show, unless it was a Sunday show. No, it was a Saturday night show. Definitely a night show. And at this point, um, with all due respect, we had been humbled. We'd been humbled in the Bush North series. You know, we weren't King. We weren't, we weren't top dogs. We weren't winning championships. We were good. 
we had, you know, moments of glory. We all knew we had talent. We had some still really good prepared race cars, you know, but, but we got our ass handed to us and got slapped down. And then we come back in 2007 and ACT race and we got slapped down. The chemistry wasn't, wasn't at the top of this game at this point. Neil and I had spent, you know, what, 17, 16 years straight, 17 years straight together. You know, and I think there was a little friction there. It wasn't going as smooth. You, this is all in retrospect. Well, at White Mountain, everybody's exhausted already by the time we get to the racetrack. And Gene Sear and Rick Paya, who are pitted in the garage area right next to us, crashed hard in the heat race. Yeah, I remember this. Yep. Really hard in the heat race. And I didn't, at that time, know Rick Paya well at all. I did not know him well at all. I mean, I knew his name forever, but I just didn't know him well. But I also knew he was very secretive. And at that time, he owned the car. And I went to Gene and I said, look, we will help you rebuild your car if you'll let us. But I, I, I know your boss over there is not real, doesn't like to let people underneath his car. And uh, mind you, you know, we were like, we will work our ass off to rebuild this car. But obviously it doesn't bother us to get under his car (laughs) and see what the hell he's doing. And uh, we're no dummies and he's no dummies. Well, I remember Gene going over to Rick and Rick and Gene sitting aside and they finally came back and said, we'll use your help. We could use your help. Well, we worked our, and Kip Stockwell, there was other guys. Yep. 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 We worked our asses off to help him get back on the track. We'd go out there in the feature and he drove by us like we were standing still. It was so infuriating. And, and the uh, body is flapping in the breeze and hanging oh off my that car. It was, it, was, it was like yeah. an enduro car. Yeah, he, he just drives by me like I'm yeah. standing still, and I'm and I'm like a lead sled. And and then uh, and something happened in the pits that uh, you know we were. It was a miscommunication. And all I know is you know I'm short fused. Neil is short fused. Next thing I know, we're screaming at each other. And Neil walked out on me. <laughs> I mean, just like mm. I don't need this shit. See ya. And I'm middle of the race. Middle of the oh. race. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. No, he, he's gone. He, he went to, I, I, I think his sister was there. I, I don't remember exactly, but I think his sister was there or something. They were fans. And I, I, as I recall, they went out and jumped in the car and left. And I was like, oof, I guess we got we to gotta have a big talk on Monday. And uh, things were just not going well. You know, they just weren't. So the chemistry was really you know, and frankly, Carl was, was awesome, but he was just, I think he was in a burnout mode too. He'd been spending his, he spent his entire, you know, I think he was on his 29th year racing, you know, full time. And, uh, the, the icing on the cake, uh, that's a bad analogy. Um, the straw that broke the camel's back, we'll use that one. Uh, for the end of that year was my, my wife came down. My wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. That's what I was getting to. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the one that, that just had me pull the plug. I was done. I mean, I was ready to quit racing. I don't care anymore. I don't need this. You know, we've been successful. We've had a lot of fun, but, uh, it's time to do something different with my life. Uh, I got to focus on her, focus on my kids. And it's a real reality check when all of a sudden the mother of your children is is facing uh, cancer and and that battle that goes with it. So that was, uh, that was a true test. And that was it. I I remember, I remember seeing you guys in the elevator at Fletcher Allen. Uh, my father was going through some health issues at the time and, and, um, we, it was, I don't know, six, seven in the morning 
and you guys, I was coming in, you guys were leaving or whatever it was. And yeah. that was like, I was the first guy to find out that this was going on. And I was like, yeah, Holy it was, shit. It was, uh, I'll tell you, it was weird because I, I learned about it right before the final Oxford race of the year. And, uh, uh, it was unbelievably emotional the whole weekend. Cause I left her at home. We had, she was reeling, Fortunately, she had some good friends that were helping her mentally deal with that while I'm over racing. Uh, I'm dealing with it on my own. I'm not ready to tell anybody. I can't process, you know, what this might mean for me and the kids. And I just, you know, because all those things are going, the worst case is always going through your head. Um, but she was literally scheduled for surgery, like right after that. I mean, they, they brought her right in. So it was, uh, you know, surgery, chemo, you know, and everything that goes with it. Um, that was what that winter was. And, uh, yeah, so that was it. It was easy for me to just say, I've got plenty of reasons. It was, you know, I, I, I think the world, cause I already said the friction was there with Neil and, um, it was just because we had a bad day, you know, and, and we've been doing it for so many years. Um, he's awesome. He was smart. He did a great job. You know, it's, it's, it's a matter of us probably both taking each other for granted at some point. So all those things burnout and racing from him, for him and for me, it was just time for a break for all of us. And so we, we took that 2008 year off and we ended up racing the one race, I think at uh, the milk bowl, I believe uh, the following year. And uh, that was the last time Goss Dodge racing raced uh, for, all these years was I think the milk bowl of 2008. Yeah. The good news is taking that year off and spending that time, you found the fire to come back in 2009 with Rick Paya and it's like a whole new Brian Hoare. Yep. Yeah. It was, uh, it was really interesting because Rick came to me at the end of the 2008 season and, um, Gene had been, um, one of the other things I did in 2008 was uh, Neil and I together ran up. This is kind of funny to think about this. <laughs> we went up to um uh, air and I don't even remember exactly how, but you know, because we were doing this no racing thing, Neil was starting to try to figure out what he was going to do next. He was still working for me at Goss and doing odds and ends things and whatnot work in the parts department and whatever. Um, but he had built a little bit of a relationship with Scott Paya. So him and I went up to help Scott Paya on Scott Paya's race team at Chaudière. I actually drove Scott Paya's car out onto the front stretch and held the flag at Chaudière for Scott Paya at race. But more importantly, that was when I truly met Rick Paya because he had just gotten his stacker trailer and his toter home. And he was pitted like right next to Scott. And I went over to talk to Gene because we're really close friends. And Rick was like, holy crap, look at this new trailer. And Rick brought me in and showed me the thing. And we hit it off. And it was literally the first time him and I had one-on-one had a great conversation. And it was at Chaudier. And he had a beautiful hauler. It was really cool. It was the one that I raced out of with him. Um, And so then at the end of the year, uh, Gene was just kind of getting to that burnout point himself and wanted to do some different things. And, and I, and I honestly think, I think the two of them had, you know, just a little friction. They'd been racing together for a long time. And, but Rick just came and said, Hey, at that, at that moment, it was Gene was still going to race the 32 car, but I want but I want to build. And that was his dream was to build a two car team. 
And that's why he bought the Toter home the, with the stacker trailer. So he, what he wanted to do was have the 32 car and the 37 car and run Gene Sear and Brian Hoare out of that same trailer. So, you know, I was going to have to bring a little sponsor money, uh, but he had some sponsor money and I was going to have to try to help assemble a team because Gene already had a team kind of thing. Gene, I think, you know, with, with everything going on and, and um, decided he just didn't want to do that. It wasn't going to be for him. And it was probably, he just, cause I remember going up and talking to Gene and, um, you know, he was still really waffling and de- debating whether he wanted to even be, because he wasn't part of that decision. So I think he was a little surprised about that uh, idea of adding me into the mix like that. Um, but he had also been thinking about doing, you know, maybe cutting way back on doing a partial schedule and um, just racing Thunder Road weekly, which he ended up doing. And so they both decided to part as friends. Uh, they're still friends. They're still really good friends to this day. And so I came on board and uh, yeah, so it was, it was, it was really, uh, it was awesome. He brought me back and, um, and it was, uh, obviously refreshing cause you know, the chemistry was like reset for everybody. And, um, some of my old race team came back and helped and we found some new partners to, to help us. I tell you, it was a little harder finding people to help when all of a sudden you're, uh, you know, 40 years old and, and everybody's got kids and, and is busy as hell. But, uh, we found some great, great crew members that, um, you know, are friends to this day and, and, uh, some of which have gone on to win Thunder Road championships and um, with Corliss. Uh, I feel like Corliss's team right now was my was my uh, Rick Paya <laughs> thirty seven team. Yeah, it's true. It, it really is. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of them that you know, and it was it was it was really cool. But uh, it's cool to watch those guys now. But so yeah, it was really fun coming back with Rick because Rick was just gave me a boost again and um, in so many ways because it was so different racing for Rick because this is the first time in my career I'm not racing my own equipment. I'm racing somebody else's equipment. And, you know, my dad taught me a long time ago to respect other people's equipment more than I would my own, you know? So I took great pride in taking good care of his equipment. Um, we had that kind of relationship right out of the box. And, um, but it didn't take me long to, you know, he earned an unbelievable amount of respect for me because the, the cars were just badass. I mean, just badass. You know, there's, there's one fact that I, I, I throw out that is mind-blowing when I say this. It really is to me. Because I raced, I uh, was it eight full seasons with them? Um, yeah, I think it was eight full seasons with them or nine, whatever. Uh, you know, I never had a mechanical failure in any one of those races ever. I believe it. Not one mechanical failure in all of those years. Goss Dodge Racing, we could never say that. And, and we worked our ass off to be perfectionists, you know. But we always had mechanical failures every single year. It seemed like maybe we might have had a couple of races, a couple, couple of years where we didn't, but not an eight-year span. No way. I couldn't tell you that we had a two-year span, let alone a three-year span, let alone an eight-year span. You know, Rick's a perfectionist. He's very consistent. He's smart. Uh, but, you know, just some of his, his, uh, his work ethic, and when I say it, some of the things he's done so well for all those championships and races he's won – He's so consistent, you know, it's so, it was, it was, it was a bit of a challenge after we won, you know, we won whatever it was, uh, three championships, uh, nine, 10 and 11, um, and 11 being our best year, you know, we had a, 
banner year, but there was guys that were starting to really come on and, 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 and go a little faster than us at certain places and Wayne Helliwell's and Joy Poles of the world. And we knew it. And, you know, and, and they, they were having their moments and we we're like, damn, they have found some speed and they're, they're getting better than we are. Um, so it was such a struggle. We had the conversations we had, you know, where I was ready to change. And he was like, God, Brian, I can't. Cause even if, you know, we're running for the championship, I mean, okay. So they win the race. We finish third, you know, how can we argue with that? Because they're inconsistent. We are so consistent. So our bad race is third and, but their bad race is 10th. They suck, you know? Um, and then they win and we finish third, you know, cause it was really those two. It was Wayne and Wayne and joy at that moment. And, um, but they showed us that we still needed to learn. We needed to, we needed to dig. We needed to find something. So really it was the 2012 season that we, we really started experimenting and that's when Wayne beat us. And I think it was, uh, yeah, well, 2012, I think it was my last full-time year where I, and then after that, I started doing some partial schedules. Um, again, family was, was taking a big part and toll on my desire to race full-time. But Did it wear on you a little bit to see the new guys come in and, and beat you? And I'm, and I'm saying this because you are the eight-time champion and you are the guy that you're still the guy, you know, even all these years later that everybody's, you're the barometer. Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was still fun to race all these guys. You know, I mean, there was plenty of racers that could kick our ass on any given day. And that was one of the beauties of the ACT series. You know, you know, it's a, whatever, a 10 to 12 race series. And if you can win four times in a year, it's, that's freaking amazing. But that meant you lost, you know, the other, whatever, six or eight or 10 or whatever, um, depending on the, the particular year. But, um, whether it was Patrick or Pearl, because those guys just, I mean, he's such a talented driver and he's so aggressive at times and makes moves that just make your head spin. And you're like, damn. And he wins the freaking race. And, and, you know, then three races in a row, he doesn't finish or, or, or he's not racing with you. He's racing partial schedules and stuff. Um, and Helliwell burns his shit up. He was, it was, it was fun to watch early on. Cause he comes from Lee and that kid, I'm a kid. He's my age. Um, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I knew initially that he was my age, you know? Um, but he was, um, I just watched him burn his shit up so many times. Cause the guy just drove a hundred percent all the time. And with our late models, that was one thing that I was always good at was saving tires and, and saving the best for last. And, uh, there was times when he just drive by me and I'd just be like, we just wave, be like, I'll see you later. And, um, but he learned. He's no dummy, man. That guy is smart. And uh, he learned. And Joey Pohl, you know, that kid always had a lot of talent and, and speed, uh, but the same kind of thing, finishing races. It took him a while to learn that and learn to um, be a little uh, be a little less aggressive and be a little bit – well, be there at the end. And when those guys did, they were really good. So I, did it bother me when they were beating me? Yeah. I mean, nobody likes to lose. I don't like to lose. But we had some tremendous battles still on track. and. And I don't have a problem finishing second to a guy when he just freaking flat out beats me fair and square. I mean, if we can run wheel to wheel and Wayne down at Devil's Bowl, we had an amazing race down there. We were side by side. side. I mean, do I wish I'd used the eight tires better than four 
perhaps in turns three and four, if I could redo that, I've debated that in my head. I got this, you know, the one on the shoulder going, absolutely. I'd win that race. But, um, but, you know, I still see the picture of us coming across the line side by side. And I actually thought I beat him. I literally did in my mind. I was like, I got him. Yeah. You know, I did shit shit i mean we didn't touch i mean we well, actually did i could actually literally i literally could my exhaust was echoing off his car i burnt I, my burnt exhaust the decal yeah burnt the decal on his car we ran so tight but it's so fun to run with a guy like that it's so amazing to run three inches apart lap after lap at the very edge of adhesion and both of you are are, are friends after sort of i kind of hate him but anyways <laughs> I don't. He's a fantastic race car driver, Joey Pole. There's so many of them, you know. Uh, I was listening to your Nick Sweet uh, podcast, and and uh, it's so fun to race guys like him and, and Patrick. No, no, Patrick's not that much fun to race with, but he's a good guy to drink beer with, though. Really good drink. But uh, he's just hard to race against because, man, you run side by side with him, and, and you can, but too often it ends up with blows, man. And you're calling him, you know, a clown, and he's calling you bozo. And it's just oh, not I remember that. Yeah, I, I started that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, he's reaching for a picture. Yeah, that's 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 bozo. Yeah, and this is the the picture I, Brian's holding I, up is uh, the Thunder Road, isn't it? I became Patoff. Patoff. That's the uh, the French version of bozo. Brian. Yep. The, the picture was was Brian's thirty seven car up on top of the hood of. Of Patrick Pearl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was something like that. And at Thunder Road, him and him and Jamie Fisher got together, and and uh, and I think I had said in an interview, "This couple of clowns" or something is what I I think I how I phrased phrased it. Called them a couple of, I said bozo and something. A couple of clowns, and because I was pissed at both of them for getting into it with each other, because they just pissed each other off and they took each other out, and I got sucked into it, and. Uh, <laughs> that led to that led to uh us going up to Chaudière and and uh you know those French guys got a little bit of a temper and and Patrick is uh he's just he's such a character it didn't take long for me to figure out that he was pissed at me I'd literally think some French guy walked up and said oh Patrick's pissed at me. he's mad at you and I'm like what what are you talking about he's mad at me I'm over here I'm already I told you CRS was kicked in. I've already forgotten about that. Who gives a shit? No, 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 no. You called him a clown. I did what? I called him a clown. Oh yeah. He's not happy. I man, did I, I absolutely, I insulted him and he was not happy. And finally I, I was like, are you kidding me? I'll go fix this right now. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take this out on the track over calling him a clown because you know, again, Two weeks later, I think the world of Patrick. He's an amazing race car driver, really, really talented race car driver. Him and his brother, it's uh, they're they're our sport is always a lot better for having Patrick involved. And uh, so I walk right over to him, and Patrick is all stern, you know. He's, he's got that jaw set straight oh, up. Yeah. And I'm like, really, dude. And I got a big smile, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, do you really think I think you're a clown? You're an amazing race car driver, dude. Just stop. And he turns right around and he points and sure as shit, he's got Patoff right across the, the right over his name. He's written Patoff on it. And I'm like, that's clown. I'm a clown now, huh? 
And I'm like, no, you're not a clown. Jesus, shut up, dude. Next thing I know, I think I had pets off on my car or something, but we went out and raced fine. He's great. It's funny. It's amazing. So yeah. it almost sounds like as you retell it that you're uh-huh. almost were reinvigorated by this new fresh batch of really good drivers. Did that make it at all more difficult to make that decision to start backing off? No, I, 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 I truly believe um, I got to race at, you know, it, it really vindicated everything we did in, nine, in 2009, 10 and 11. Um, the, the number of racers that started coming to these shows and the, and the quality of the racers from, and the diversity of the racers, um, ACT became the place, you know, it was really the place to race. Um, the Bush North guys, you just look at the guys that started racing on a fairly regular basis. That used to be the NASCAR Bush North guys, you know, and I mean, Brad Layton, you know, it was just awesome to have him part of our series there for two or three years. And, and, um, just, you know, it, it, we had such an amazing level of talent, um, obviously very honored to have raced for Rick and, and, and been successful with his team because he's amazing. Um, uh, but you know, I didn't, I, it is what it is. You know, you, you go out there and, and, uh, we were still competitive, you know, obviously we finally had to venture out of our side of our comfort zone and, and Rick redesigned the race car. I mean, the time I was with Rick in 2009, you want to talk about a difference in Goss Dodge racing. We raced the same car from 2000 or I mean, 1992 to 2000 through the 2000 season, you know, Rick, he built me my favorite car. <clears throat> um, it was the first car, obviously, because we won three championships with that car, and I won a lot of races, and that was Twizzler. By that time, I was naming cars all through the Bush North Series. When you got five race cars in your garage, you got to name them because it's like, how do you identify yeah, which you car? straight, yeah. Yes, yeah, so we started naming race cars in the Bush North Series. and So I get to Rick's, and I'm, I immediately put a name. We're, we had a box of Twizzler, one of my favorite candies in the world box of twizzlers every single week when we worked on the race cars on tuesday nights and um i named the race car twizzler i just i don't know it just stuck and uh that car was badass you know but he built me a ford he built me a brand new ford i mean i had three brand new race cars in that time frame with him plus the super late model so four brand new race cars right brand new and each one he worked his ass off to make jason corliss's car I won in that car. That was that. That was a Rick Pay design car. Um, that was a Ford. Um, great car. That was the ra- that was the car I raced in, and finally won at Loudon with in 2011. Um, the, the we were the support division for the IndyCar series, and that was a big win for me just because I sought fought so long to get one of those granite trophies. But um, you know, it, he, uh, he the final car we built that Scott Pay eventually drove was an amazing race car. You know, that was taking some of that new technology to the limits. And it was really that kind of, um, you know, Rick was really good at uh, working the rule book in his favor. And, and when he saw guys that were, you know, working the rule book the wrong way, you know, he made sure that the, the rule book got adjusted. I mean, he was like, if somebody's pushing the limits, he might push it too far to make sure the rule got adapted and amended, knowing full well that he's going to have to quickly change back. But that's okay. He was willing to do that to make sure that everybody else had to, you know, take a step back. And he was really good at doing that kind of thing. And that last race car that uh, that Scott drove, oh, that car was badass. I mean, it was really fast. But we weren't running for championships at that point. You know, one, 
It was, uh, but it was a really fast race car. It was a lot of fun well, to drive. You mentioned the super late model, and this is this is right towards the end of of your run, um, yep. 2014 and 15. You guys are starting to play on much bigger stages, and this is no offense to ACT, but the Snowball Derby and Winchester and places like that. I mean, that's that's the top of the game before you get to NASCAR. Yeah, we, you know, it was a bucket list of mine, and, and Rick and I talked about it since the day we got together. And obviously, it would, you know, give us a couple of years, and we're winning championships and winning races. So we were, what shit, his wife and, and my wife and I, we were all going on vacation together in the winters and really, really fun. And we were getting along really well. And I just said, hey, man, I've got a bucket list, man. There's something I want to do before I get done this deal, is I really, really, really want to drive a, a, an actual real super late model. You know, and these are the, mind you, go back to my Derek Lynch thing at Sun Air. These are my ACT tour cars of old. These are my junior Hanleys of old. These are, you know, just that raw power, badass, 10, 11-inch tires, incredibly aerodynamics, the best shocks you can put under the thing. Um, I wanted to do that, you know. Uh, give me a, and, 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 and nothing against the past series. I wasn't looking to do it full time. But if I'm going to do it, I said, I, 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 I want to go to some of these big events so I can check it off. The, and I really want to just experience racing some of the best super late model racers in the country um, at some of these tracks that I've, again, love going to new tracks. I want to go to some of these tracks that I've read about and I've heard about. Between the Snowball Derby, the Gresham Motorsports Park, I'd always heard how amazing it is. And that was the World Crown 300. And then the Winchester, Winchester Speedway. Oh, my God, that track is to die for. It's amazing. What an awesome race place. In the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a field, you know, it's just freaking awesome. The banking is insane. And the speeds are awesome. I, I mean, I loved it. I freaking loved every minute of it. Uh, we weren't the fastest car there, but. But um, I knew how to finish races, you know. So, um, and we did lead some laps, and we did run okay. I think we qualified 13th or whatever, and uh, we ran the top 10. And freaking Rick decides, oh, I'm going to leave you out on old tires, and you're going to take the lead here. And I'm like, I want to kill you right now. I'm on old tires, and these guys are going to fucking kill me. They're going to run me over. What the fuck are you doing to me? Literally, I'm out there behind the pace car and everybody behind me, everybody pits around me. I'm now behind the pace car, everybody, but I think two slower cars than me got old tires. And I'm like, they're going to kill me. I mean, they're going to run me over. I literally led the next 25 laps before Matt, Matt Kent's son or, uh, yeah, I forget. Ross. Whatever. Did Ross? Yeah, Ross finally passes me with fresh tires. <laughs> Rick always tells it later, like you were on like a scared dog, man. I was like, I wasn't running like one. I was one. I was scared shitless. These guys are going to destroy me at this place on new tires. I mean, I came off the fourth turn and I went as hard as I could. And I'm like driving like a wild man to get away from everybody. Cause I had two slower cars around me to give me one little break. And uh, we got out there and I'm like, you know, like 10 laps later, you're still leading. You're like, holy shit. Um, don't get me wrong. We didn't lead that many laps, but um, but we ran competitive. We ran well. And 400 laps later, we're, we're, we're finished fifth. And, uh, you know, we go to Gresham World, the World Crown 300 on Gresham Motorsports Park. And this is my CRS disease kicking in here. 
Um, they were out of St. Johnsbury. The kid raced. Dad, oh, God, great people. I'm so mad I can't remember his name. Um, they moved south to Mooresville, and he raced. Lejean. Yes. Yep. Stephen the, Lejean, Kendall Lejean. Yep. So yeah. somehow Rick hooks up with them, and Rick had a deal on shocks for the super late model. Uh, Rick had a lot of connections. You know, he's built them up over these years being successful. So we go down to World Crown with, with Rick's shocks, but Lejean gives us a set of shocks from his super late model and says, run these. And they're badass. Run them. Well, Rick has no intentions on really running them, but, you know, maybe we'll throw them on and try them in practice. We go out and, you know, we're okay at best. But uh, come to find out, Gresham has got a couple real aggressive bumps down in turns three and four, and they're really tough to get through. And this is maybe my second time running the car. It's August. It's hot as shit in Jefferson, Georgia. Um, you know, I mean, it's 95 degrees in the shade. It's stupid hot. And we weren't that fast. They bolted on Lejean's shocks and it just brought that car to life. And all of a sudden I'm fastest on the charts and I'll never forget. These guys were like, who the fuck is this asshole? It was, but it, and mind you that year, it was the only time we'd ever done this, but but we did it on purpose. We literally were, you know, we, we were like, well, maybe we don't run good. Maybe we do. But we put on the side of the hauler, eight time ACT champion. Oh my. And we, and we did it. Um, <laughs> it was really pretty. It was number 37 American. It was the American Canadian tour logo. Uh, I can tell you straight up. Curly was super proud of us for doing it. Cause you know, he was excited at that point that we were going to go race these races. He drove, down to the snowball derby to watch just drove down to watch you know it was that kind of thing gave us a lot of support you know um so we show up to these racetracks and the eight-time ac american canadian tour champion like they give a shit right i mean they were on super late models and um you know what does this kid know about anything about anything or these guys you know well all of a sudden we're top of the charts at gresham and they're like what the hell's going on and I mean, I'm talking like, you know, just these people, right? this guy named Bubba Pollard, I don't, know, I don't know, whoever this guy is, right? I mean, seriously, these guys are amazing. These guys are like the top super late model racers in the world. I got guys coming over to me now. Um, I don't know if you know Weeder Nation, the guy that I, I don't even know his first name. He's, he's the tire guy that gets involved with everybody that wins, it seems like. Um, but he's from Maine, but he's down south, and he goes to all these races. You know him, Gary Crooks, who now owns sure. Port City Race Cars. Um, at that time, uh, was working had been working with Austin a little bit. He came over to me because he knew my name and knew, you know, he's from, well, he's from Canada, but he certainly knew my name from the Northeast. And he's like, dude, you you were racing against the best down here. You're you're doing really well. Keep it up, man. That kind of stuff. But we go out and practice and they would go out and they would do everything they could to knock me off the top spot in practice. And I was like, come on, man, give me a new set of tires. I want to go do it again. Just come on. We got to do it, man. We got to get in their head, go out. We'd be number one. I didn't end practice in number one. I think I ended practice that day, like number two or maybe number three at, at the world crown 300. And I'm like, we are so fast. We go to time trials and I time trail seventh. 
never been more devastated in my life. I honestly thought I had a pole winning car. I truly do to this day believe I had a pole winning car. I just, I just screwed it up. And again, not that I, you know, I, I'm a pretty good time trailer. I've always been pretty good at it. it. Just kind of, kind of came natural to me, but I was so mad. I screwed it up just mad. But before you know it, I'm running third and fourth in the race. Before you know it, I'm leading the damn race and they're calling for rain under caution. And we're like, we're going to win this thing. And the rain just went around us. Um, and then I wrecked Donnie Wilson. And then Donnie threw his helmet at, almost tried to put it through my windshield. And I thought pretty sure Donnie was going to kick my ass. He's kind of a rugged dude. And then, then I wrecked. And he didn't kick my ass. And uh, we went home with our tail between our legs. But anyways, it was a good experience overall. You know, we well, let me, the- let me read the finish here because this is, you know, Casey Roderick, Kyle Grissom, Steve Grissom's son, Harrison Burton, Daniel Hamrick. These are cup drivers and Xfinity drivers now. Uh, Jeff Choquette, Bubba Pollard, Ron Young, Matt Craig, who's won a million pass races, and Brian Hoare and Augie Grill. That's your top 10. Then you've got uh, Spencer Davis, Stephen Nassie, Dan Keene, Donnie Wilson. Uh, th- I mean, this is the best of the best. Yeah, we were we were there. We were racing with them. We were having a blast. I, I'm leading the race. I'm leading the race. And, and uh, Augie Grill, if, it, it, on that given day, if there was any car I wanted to drive, it was Augie Grills. It was, you know, th- there's all this, there's those race. All my career, um, if I didn't win the race, there was always a race car that I wanted to drive on that particular race. You know, the guy that won or it was dominant and should have won. Augie Grill was that guy in the race. Augie Grill was insanely fast. He is just, he, he puts me three wide on the restart and I'm like, dude, it's a 300 lap race and we're a hundred laps in. What are you doing? And I back out of it. I'm like, this guy's what I'm literally going WTF and probably swearing out loud for sure. Cause I cuss once in a while. And he takes us three wide going into turn one on the green flag on the restart at hundred laps into a 300 lap race. I'm like, give me a lap here, dude. I know you're faster. Go. What the fuck? He is so far out front of us, but he's got an overheating issue or something. <laughs> he, as the story goes, because this is how it happened. He's by himself out front, dominating the race, drives into turn three, goes up, and hits the wall. He was paying attention to his temperature gauge and just missed the corner mm. and just lost it going into turn three by himself, leading the race and with a dominant race car. Now, I don't know if his, you know, the overheating thing would have cost him the race or not, but he was the fastest thing there. It was unbelievable. But on that given day, Bubba Pollard was not that good that given day. Um, you know, we were really, we were really, really fast. I mean, we were running right at the front all race that, that finish in order you just gave was me wrecking with, uh, this shows the attrition. Uh, I think I wrecked was 60 laps to go or something crazy. I think it was, you were 42 laps off and you still finished ninth. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And, and, and I think I was running third when that happened, you know, and, and we were faster than the first the two guys in front of us. We were clicking off laps, catching the leader and, and uh, pit strategy. We played a pit strategy game there. We had fresher tires at the end of that race. But I also watched how that race ended, standing on pit wall, watching Casey Roderick uh, send Grisham up the track to win the race. I was like, ooh, yeah, wow, they run a little rough around here. I mean, they didn't have any problem using bumpers, but uh, it was uh, it was interesting racing with them. And it was a lot of fun, too. Anything left on your uh, racetrack bucket list you were talking about? There's plenty of places all over the place from here to 
Yeah. The Nürburgring in Germany. <laughs> what tickles your fancy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's one thing I've never done that I always wanted to do, and that was run a super speedway. I've never drafted like that. Run a super speedway. Um, and don't get me wrong, the mile and a half tracks look like you know they're they'd be amazing, just the pure speed with the downforce and whatnot. But um, but you know I've got a I've got a taste of that at Dover. Um, this Dover is truly a monster. It is it is amazingly fast for its size. But yeah, just Daytona. I mean, Daytona's it. Talladega would be awesome too, but Daytona by name, it just is what it is. Just to, to have gone around that track would have been amazing. Um, love to wish I wish I could have said that too. Not going to happen now ever, but, um, you know, wish that's something that would still be on a bucket list to go fast at Daytona and actually draft. Absolutely. For sure. So let's come home here. 2015, we're wrapping up. And nobody knows it at the time. I don't think even really you knew it at the time. Um, but you're you're going out absolutely on top, and you won the final two races of your career. Yeah. Uh, well, I certainly didn't know I was going to win for sure. Um, but I knew I was getting done. Uh, nobody else knew I was getting done except my wife Sandy, and because uh, there'd been a lot of talk. Rick knew I was getting to that point in my life where I, my daughters were more, way more important than my racing to me. Um, you know, when, you know, we, we, we will get to that in a second, but, uh, my daughters grew up at the racetrack and that's just where they were. Cause that's what we did. And they didn't mind it early on. They thought I was Jeff Gordon. Uh, you know, I was, daddy was pretty cool. Um, but then he, they figured out I was, um, not so cool and they all had sports of their own and wanted to do other things and when they were doing other things I didn't want to be at the track it was just clear to me that I wanted to be where my girls were and I wanted to watch them and support them and um, my older daughter Rachel was into horses and, and she was starting to uh, um, do some horse competitions uh, some some eventing uh, which is dressage and stadium jumping and cross country. It's dangerous. And um, she was really good involved and doing good at it. I wanted to do that. I just, just didn't want to be where, you know, they, they didn't want to be with me anymore because they were just sick of racing. So I knew that I knew the end was coming. Um, and, and Rick knew that I was getting to that point, but I, I, I certainly couldn't identify when because racing is a drug you know, and, and it's so hard and it's your lifestyle. And, and for me, obviously uh, it became my identity and everything else uh, is, and, and, and I'm very, very fortunate to say what I'm about to say. Very, 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 very fortunate to say this, but it was one of the harder decisions I've ever made in my life. And I'm so happy that I can say that was one of the harder decisions I made was to give up racing. Uh, because when I think of some of the hard decisions that people have to make um, that are real life decisions, <laughs> I guess, you know, I've been racing race cars and having fun and, and had a lot of great experiences with a lot of great people um, just decided it was time. And I couldn't decide that till it was right. You know, it was, it was literally getting to the end of the year. I think we were August or so. And I said, yeah, pretty sure this is it. I didn't even tell my wife and then September came and I think I was like, okay, Sandy, I got to talk to you. I'm pretty sure that I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm done racing. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to just do something different. I'm, I'm done. Um, I was running a lot then we, you know, I got into boating, uh, power boating and, uh, and I just wanted to do something different and then go watch kids and, and, uh, 
there was a lot going on with racing that just, I was, I was burnt out on it, you know? So we went to Thunder Road for the Milk Bowl, the end of September. And I can assure you that had I won that race in my mind, I was like, if I win this race, I am done. Now I had a commitment with Rick to race through, through uh, Thompson. But I said to myself, nobody else. I said, if I win this race, I'm going to retire in victory lane. <laughs> I mean, I'm done. If I win the milk bowl fourth time, but like most people were jinxed with three wins and, um, and that didn't happen. So I said, okay, I guess we'll go on. And, and I, I just never envisioned uh, retiring after that. It was, you know, I mean, at airborne and um, matter of fact, I, I finished second in that race to Patrick Pearl who got disqualified. So we found on you know an hour later or whatever but um so it wasn't quite the same there but um but we had a good run and, and a great race and and um but obviously we went to thompson and that was different because i knew going into thompson i knew something that rick pay didn't know and that was that uh at some point in the weekend before the race i was going to tell him that this is my last race and very emotional weekend um you know, I love Thompson. Uh, as I recall, it was the first ACT tour points race uh, that I recall ever happening at Thompson at that point, or for years at least, or that I've been involved with. But I used to run good there with the Bush North Car. I love the place, um, which always helped me too. And um, so we went there, and I told, I, yeah, I want to say we practiced on Friday and then raced on Saturday. Um, yeah, it was a Friday-Saturday deal. So we got down there. Might have got down there on Thursday night. I don't remember, but we definitely got there Friday morning. And by Friday night, I remember telling Rick, and it was really, really emotional. And, uh, you know, he goes, you've got to tell Tom Curley the next day. You've got to tell him before the race. You've got to tell him you're, you're getting done. Uh, I want you to tell him you're getting done. He needs to hear it from you. Right? I was like, okay. Um, so I waited till after the driver's meeting at uh, on Saturday with Tom Curley, whatever I told him. And uh, literally, Tom Curley broke down crying, uh, which made me break down crying. Um, and I remember the last one. Of the, I, mean, I remember the last conversation we had before the race. Um, he was on his uh, little golf cart um, after the race, and and I remember him just doing that little finger pointing thing to me. And at that time, he almost had the shakes, and he was pointing his finger at me, and he goes, "You know what you you know what you've got to do. You know what you've got to do." And I knew what he meant. That meant I had to go win that race. So Tom Curley, the man himself, was pointing at me, telling me, you know what you've got to go do. And I went, yes, sir, I do. <laughs> yes, 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 sir. Uh, like I'd always said to Tom Curley, yes, sir, I do, because I had a tremendous amount of respect for the man. And um, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I did. And and I went out there with a vigor and, and said, I'm going to win this fucking race. I don't give a shit what I got to do. I'm going to win this fucking race. Eddie, Eddie, thank God, Eddie, Eddie Mack had a problem because he was going to make it really hard on me because he was super fast. Eddie ran good there too, really good. And um, he was fast that day. I don't remember what happened. He broke or something. But but uh, you win some, you lose some, and we won that one. And so it was fun. It was really cool. You know, I mean, it was obviously uh, what a way to go out. Pretty cool stuff. So our listeners can't see this, um, but there's, and we, we talked about this before we started, there's pictures of, of some awesome looking boats on your wall right behind you. Yeah. This is, oh, wait, 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 
Now, we'll show you listeners can't see me uh, jumping this one. That was in Lake Erie. And then this is my uh, 160 mile an hour skater. So what what was the what prompted you to to get onto the water? Um, I I love boating. I I grew up on the lake. And my dad always had a fishing boat, and he had one one speedboat uh, way back, and uh, that was you know 1987, 88. I was early high school, 86, 87. I don't know. He had one kind of speedboat, but it was all his fishing boats. But I just loved the lake. I, and, uh, uh, I love being on the water. And then 2007, uh, my wife was going through cancer. Uh, Jeremy, at that time, Jeremy Duye, was working on a, a poker run team. Uh, a local guy here owned a, a big cigarette boat and uh, cigarette brand, 42-foot Tiger cigarette. Uh, with big engines, thousand horsepower engines, and and he, and uh, Jeremy was helping maintain. That was part of his job. He was being paid to maintain this boat, kind of like a race team. And um, the the owner of the boat, GL Harvey, called me up one day, uh, in probably January, and said, "Hey, I'm going to Florida to do a poker run, and uh, why don't you come down?" He knew we were going through hell with with Sandy, and our, she was. And, Hey, why don't you come down and join us? Just fly down on a Thursday night. We'll have a good time. And uh, we'll boat on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and, and you can fly home on Sunday. I said, okay. So I did that. <laughs> I had a ball. And um, that was uh, created a little bit new passion for me. Um, I was like, damn, I could get into this. It's kind of like, you know, the adrenaline of racing without the competitive level um, because, you know, these boats are – it just the more money you spend, the faster you go. So it's just, it's not a race. These poker runs are just fun, but a lot of the waterways, all the waterways we run on don't have speed limits. Um, and, and these boats go stupidly fast. Um, so you do get an adrenaline rush, um, navigating uncharted, they're not uncharted waters, but uncharted to me, you know, it's just like going to a new track for me. Every time I hit the water with my boat, it's like a new track because even if it's the same waterway, the weather changes everything. And whether you're early in the season or late in the season, the water level, or you go to the ocean and you've got tides and it changes everything. So there's an adrenaline level there when you're running around with a really expensive boat um, and try not to put it on a sandbar or a coral reef or, a, <laughs> you know, or hit other boats um, because there's, you know, the water is changing all the time. All of a sudden a wave comes out of nowhere and you're airborne going, uh, I need to change my shorts right now. Um, so it's, it's <clears throat> a lot of fun and, um, you know, I've done a lot of crazy stuff with, uh, with Jeremy Duye and these boats and they're fun and I uh, enjoy them at the same time. It's not the, it's not the, uh, intensity level of racing. Um, it's much more relaxed. You know, we don't drink until the end of the day, but um, you certainly pull up at lunch and there's a, a tiki bar and, and you're sitting there going, this is pretty cool, you know, and, and you inevitably end up back at that tiki bar by the end of the day, you know, and I'm talking primarily in Florida. That's where my boat is right now. Um, I, if it wasn't for COVID, I'd be down there a lot more than I, than I am right now. I'd go down and do a few more runs than I, but we are still doing a couple runs this winter down in Florida uh, with the Florida Powerboat Club. And then we'll bring it back to Vermont and we'll do runs around the Northeast and their poker runs. And uh, basically that means, you know, a group of like-minded individuals gets together and we all go grab poker cards. And in between we drive like hell 
you know, and, and have some fun. And um, certainly it's a, it's a ton of fun. And, and uh, we, we get a little of that adrenaline rush that you get from racing, you know, so that kind of feeds the, feeds the bug. Cause I still like to go fast. It seems like um, maybe there's the next generation that likes to go fast too. Cause there's some race cars in the shop now, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh Lord. I don't know what I've got to do this year, but um, yeah. Um, it's been a long day already because uh, <laughs> we're rebuilding a, a shop down back here at my house so that we can house a street stock for my daughter and a flying tiger car for my son. So it's going to be really interesting. I told my daughter Thursday, uh, well, no, I actually told Christmas shot on Thursday. <laughs> I went down and bought four tires with my daughter and we measured them up. And uh, Chris asked my daughter, he'd never met my daughter, Taylor, who's going to race my younger daughter. She just graduated from high school and she helped Justin, um, my son, my stepson, who raced warrior cars all, all this last summer. I'd go boating on a Thursday night. They'd be like, Hey, you want to come down? I'm like, no way. It's 90 degrees out. I'm going on the lake. I'm not going to Thunder Road. I've already done that sweat fast. I'm good. I'm going to the lake. Even if I wasn't going to the lake, I'd say I was going to the lake. But anyways, they go, Taylor fell in love with it. I mean, because I she was mad at me when I quit because I quit in 2015. She turned 14 in 2016. So in 2016, she was going to come into the pits. Mm -hmm. So now she was mad because that was finally going to be interesting enough to come into pits. Now, Rachel, my older daughter, got a couple opportunities to do that in my last few races. And and it meant a lot to her. And so Taylor was a little burnt about that. Uh, so she made up for it handily this last year, went to Thunder Road all year with to, to help her brother. And, um, and then bugged me from midway point of the year on to go racing. I want to go racing. I want to drive a race car. I'm like, you're a gymnast, not a race car driver. Just stop. And she's like, I want to drive a race car. And I'm like, you're not a race car driver. You're a gymnast. You go do flips. All right. Just, just go stand on your hands. And uh, she's like, I want to, I want to drive a race car. And um, so long story short, um, in January, this, this takes until this year, 2021, for me to finally cave and buy her a street stock. And now I'm like, we'd already bought Justin a flying tiger car in the fall, Cooper Bouchard's car after the milk bowl. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, what the hell are we doing? I don't know what we were doing with a flying tiger car, let alone a street stock. And poor Taylor. I mean, I bring her down. I introduce her to Christmas Shaw. Chris was like, are you, are you, are you scared? Are you nervous? Are you excited? And she's like a little bit of everything. And I'm like, she should be scared because her dad is buying or, or is, is measuring the damn tires for her car. And he's never measured a set of tires for his own car in his life. So she's screwed, really. I mean, she's in deep shit. But um, God bless her. She wants to go. She's going to get to go in circles. I hope I remember which way the stagger goes. I don't know. Anyways, we'll figure it out. Ed Companion, Mr. C, told me the Dixie Cup theory. The, the big side goes on the right side, and, and you spin it in a circle, and around around it goes. Just remember that. I, I, I do. I do actually know how it works. All right. <laughs> I, I learned one or two things over the years. Right. I even knew how to tires. It was kind of fun. So how do you think? Uh... I, I will tell, but anyways. So how do you think Brian Hoare, race car dad, is going to be? Miserable nightmare. Yeah. yeah. I'm a terrible, terrible fan. Terrible fan. 
I mean, I'm, I've always, I've never really enjoyed standing in the stands and I'm a nervous wreck with my girls, Justin, not so much. He's tough. He can take it. Whatever. <laughs> He's like, whatever. I'm like, go get him. Tiger. I had a blast watching him this year, but my girls, it's, it's different when I watch them. Uh, there's that, uh, they've got me wrapped around their little finger. So that'll, that'll be interesting. It'll be challenging, but, uh, We'll work through it. Uh, we're going to figure it out. I mean, we've got a lot to learn because, you know, not a day in my life if I race a street sock. You know, she's got a, she's got a little Mustang, uh, so it's a rear-wheel drive. So, and we went that direction on purpose. I was like, I don't know if it's the right direction or not speed-wise, but um, certainly there's some guys running good with the Mustangs, and, and, and this little car ran good in the past. But um, certainly I'm more familiar with how this should work and going in circles with a rear-wheel drive. And I'm like, you know what, let's just, let's, let's, let's orient you that way. We have no idea. You know, she's so raw at this point. She's not driven on the racetrack yet. She's not done an enduro, not done a work car. Justin already ran good. He ran good. He's a good little racer. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's doing well, you know, and uh, I will say my daughter put her on a snowmobile. She goes like a bat out of hell, scares the shit out of me all the time. Um, so there's definitely that in her, uh, the, the stuff she's done in gymnastics all these years scare the living shit out of me. Um, so I'm sure racing will be no different, but, uh, you know, again, whether she's got that, 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 what everything it takes, who knows? She is very realistic going into this, but she knows she doesn't know. She just wants to go in circles and try it. So, um, she's excited to do it as she would say, I'm jazzed. I'm jazzed. So she's very jazzed. I hope I hope you can be jazzed too. Uh, I am jazzed. <laughs> this is one thing for sure. It's going to be interesting. Uh, we have some quick hitter questions that we always ask, but before we do that, um, I got to have a Duye story. And there's one that I've been told um, coming back from White Mountain involving a moose or maybe well, Oxford or something. I don't know. It was definitely Oxford. Uh, well, I mean, Ed Companion was with us and Eddie was with us. So 1995, uh, we went to Oxford. I don't remember what we did there. I had no idea. We went in circles and, um, like a dog chasing his tail, never got very far. Uh, but then we decided to come home in the middle of the night, like every other dumbass from Vermont. And, uh, and that's the worst stretch of road in America from Oxford is, to, to East Montpelier. No, uh, you absolutely right. From East Montpelier there, I refused to let my daughter go. I, she wanted to go to White Mountain and drive home one night. I'm like, no, no, you're not doing it. And, and that, I mean, that's just that neck of the woods. Grove Tona, home. No, just yeah. don't do it. It's yeah. dangerous. It's stupid. Step to find. So, I mean, I'm talking firsthand, you know, um, to describe it is exactly the way most maniacs describe it um, that have hit loose. Uh, so I guess I'm a maniac, honorary maniac. Um, we were coming down a front, you know, South Paris, Maine. I don't think we're that far from the track. We're very close to the Maliocket. And we're in this okay, big Yep, yep, yep. yep. And um, I don't know, the road starts moving. <laughs> you know, that's literally the way they describe it. It's like a ghost, you know, because moose are dark on top. Their eyes don't reflect. And the bottom of their, the bottom of their legs are um, pavement colored, we'll call it. They're literally gray or, or lighter colored. So 
the body of the moose just doesn't show. And that's what makes them so damn dangerous. And they're dumb and, and they can move damn fast. So all of a sudden, you know, we've got a moose that runs out in front of us. And by the time we figure it out, I'm breaking as hard as I can. Um, my MO at the end of a race would be if I'm going to drive at all, I'll drive the first, first leg. Well, I've still got some adrenaline pumping because about 30 minutes in or 45 minutes in, maybe an hour, I'm going to be passed out of sleep. You're going to have to drive me the rest of the way. So I'm driving and this freaking moose comes from the right crosses and I'm doing everything by the book. Well, I think I am. I'm breaking hard. And at the last second I dodged to the right stupid moose decides to turn around and come back. And, um, and uh, I hit him in the right front shoulder and he comes right over and it's a bull moose. His antlers come right straight through the windshield. And this is retrospect. I mean, I know I'm ducking and everybody else is ducking. Um, comes right over the hood, smashes up the hood. Uh, the head comes, the antlers come right straight, dead center between Ed Companion and I in the center of our truck. Thank God nobody, it was a, you know, a captain's chairs with a, with a console. Nobody was sitting in the front there. And his body comes around and smashes my A-pillar, smashes my door, smashes the window out of my, my driver's glass. And then it, the A-pillar held and ripped his head back out so it didn't take me out. And it flopped and hit the side of the truck and, and uh, it killed Moose. Um, <laughs> was, it was horrific when we look back on it and just go, oh, my God, we were so lucky. So lucky. And that's not the only lucky moose story we've got because uh, in White Mountain Motorsports Park, I had uh, Andrew Carey, my brother-in-law, Corey Forrest, Chris Burnett. And I think it was just the three of them. They were driving Andrew Carey's wife's Dodge Charger and they left and they're going up 93 and after they left the track and took a moose at interstate speeds and it cleaned, <clears throat> it cleaned the A-pillars right back to behind the driver and passenger's head. And it was, uh, as I recall, it was Corey Forrest, my brother-in-law, Corey Forrest, and Andrew Carey. And it it literally opened it like a can opener. Um, Wonder, Just a wonder it didn't kill him. And uh, and I came along with a hauler right behind him. I mean, Andrew was all cut up from glass uh, that had hit him in the face, but uh, nobody, other than that, nobody got injured totally amazing but uh yeah scary shit man those moves are crazy remember the first time i drove solo to oxford i think we we're oh, calling a race and justin couldn't go because i think i did it with lee and i was probably i don't know 26 27 at the time and i think my dad called me at least four times that day to keep reminding me to watch out for moose on the way home and it's always foggy it's always pea soup fog oh, it's horrible it's yeah. unbelievable it's unbelievable well, that yep. wasn't a Duye story, though. Give it, give us, well, give us a Duye short. Was there. Duye was there for that. So, well, I'm, all right, all right. Well, I mean, the best Duye story because you've seen it on Facebook is uh, classic Duye, and I wasn't actually there for this. I'm so mad I wasn't. Um, was when we were racing 2011. We went down to New Smyrna and raced with the uh, ACT, and uh, <laughs> and uh, Chris Burnett and him ended up in victory lane at the at Volusia. Just the funniest goddamn thing I've ever seen at a racetrack. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see the stories i'm so mad that i went back to the house with rick and the team i was like oh i never because they you know again when i was racing with rick rick was very very serious and it was like no we're gonna play by the book we're gonna do our thing and we're not gonna party hard we'll party hard when we get home kind of thing 
um, but not not well. Those guys all said, "No, hey, we're gonna get a hotel room close by, and we're gonna go to Volusia," and they let loose for sure. So it was, uh, it was bit, the Bud Light hat though it was the Bud Light box rather wasn't yeah. it the Bud Light? Yeah, yeah they Bud both Light had box. Yeah, uh, just in is unbelievable. Just class. They were throwing T-shirts into the grandstands. They got up in the announcer's booth at one point. They were down in Victory Lane with Steve Kinzer and Ryan Gustin. Oh, just a show! Unbelievable. There's that's okay. Ryan, Brian's holding up that picture of the uh, Evans Mills. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's my that's my late model ACT late model. Well, a couple quick hitters, and then we'll let you go. Uh, first up, what is the one vehicle that you've owned in your life that you wish you still had today? I knew you were an athlete. You can. Is. It's a little red wagon. Little red around Burlington. I mean, if it was a 500 lapper, I want it. In this exact truck, I had a 360, and uh, and I wish I still had the truck. In 1988 and 89, but 89 especially the summer of 89, my dad took a 1979. You know, people say cars don't last like they are. You know, don't build the cars like they used to. All I can say is thank God. Because in 1979, this truck needed to be completely refurbished and redone with entirely new paint, new wood, had wood body on it. Uh, but anyways, just redone completely <laughs> nine years later. <laughs> Average age of the car on, on the road today is like over 11 years old. But anyways, I made lots of laps in that car. He rebuilt that thing. And um, I burned off two sets of tires on that car over two summers on that truck. It's a little sport truck. And it was two wheel drive. And I just, I, to this day, I still love sport trucks. Uh, and I want to, someday I'm going to make a pro street sport truck. I'm going to make a modern Ram. It's going to be a little two door short bed with monster tires. I'm going to make my drag truck that I always wanted, you know, badass. But that thing, that's, that's the one we sold that probably by 1990, 91. And uh, that's the car I wish, or the vehicle I wish I still had. That car was cool. That truck was cool. The most 1970s thing ever. That little Red Express. That's cool. Yeah, man. The smokestacks. It was badass, man. I thought I was all that in a bag of chips. Yep. So then, you know, if you're if you're a fan of the podcast, you know the second question I'm going to ask you. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a race car? Actually, you might have already told the story. <laughs> no, I got one better. All right. I mean, that way. No, you know what? Maybe that was the dumbest. Maybe we should just leave it there. It was a Ronnie Weston story that was pretty bad. Pretty bad. In 1992, my dad and I were racing identical looking cars. Mine's got a 45, his got 46. And, and we're out in a heat race. And my dad pulls one of his famous moves on Ronnie Weston. Um, and uh, you know, when I say famous moves, you know, he got his nose in there and just went down and turn three mind you you know the thing that was was always the thing with my dad is he could turn off turn two and just go straight down the back straightaway where everybody's arching like the d-shaped straightway <laughs> so everybody's coming down turn three at an angle and my dad's coming at it straight as shit he gets down in the corner and turns left and they're coming at an angle so that's where the problem always lies is and um so he pulled that on ron weston well guess what i was a benefactor because i was right behind my dad and uh, the problem was, you know, you can't really now looking back blame Ron Weston, but he's spinning and he sees me. So he blames me. And evidently Ron had a short fuse and, and uh, not that he knew it at that time, but he learned shortly thereafter that I had a short fuse. 
And the next thing you know, we're wrecking each other down in turns one and two. He he comes up and flips me off, and I flip him off, and I think he might have rubbed me, and then I smashed him, and then he smashed me back, and um, and then he got in front of me and jammed the brakes on. And I said okay, and I put it to the floor, and until we literally came to a collision, you know, we collided, and uh, the left rear of mine smashed with the with the left front of his. Well, my nine-inch Ford at the time beat his left front A-arm up pretty bad, and it broke him. <laughs> and um, and Tom sent me home to think about it. <laughs> I got kicked out for the night. And Ron, Ron's a pretty tough guy. I'm pretty sure I, I thought at that point I was going to get my ass ever-lovingly kicked. Um, uh, so I went back to the pit area, and then the, the – Officials came over and told me you're done for the night. And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I believe that I, I, I deserve to be done for the night at this point. And I knew right away it was just stupid, just dumb because I didn't have anything to do with the wreck at all. Nothing except he blamed me and everybody else would have told him, well, it's Doug. You should be mad at not Brian. And he figured out very quick why I reacted the way I did. Um, but I overreacted and um, learned a few lessons in that. Uh, it was a, it was, it was really probably still to this day, the dumbest thing I've ever done in a race car. I mean, with the exception of maybe taking myself out and losing a championship and, and a race all in one shot. Was your, was your dad pretty impressed with that Weston deal? Well, you know, the way I remember it was I, I, uh, he did the dirty work and, and, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I took the hits. I think he actually felt a little bad about that particular pass, but, um, uh yeah you know it is what it is i mean my dad's always had a short fuse and and uh i will say i got his fuse so <laughs> this is what it is but it was a bad move it was you know it was not a smart one it was dumb 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 and uh finally long road trip down the road headed <laughs> anywhere who do you want riding shotgun with you Uh oh he's getting another picture i think <laughs> that guy yeah i want him <laughs> Jeremy do you guys yeah he's, he's I've had so many crazy adventures with Jeremy whether it was snowmobiles boats race cars whatever um and and truly Jeremy is a fantastic driver um I don't just sit in the passenger sleep passenger seat and sleep or relax with just anybody driving uh, I do sleep if I'm in the driver's seat all the time because I'm very comfortable with my own driving but um but uh, Jeremy is great. He's great. He's a lot of fun. Very, very good friend. I've, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of really good friends, and, and uh, a lot of them I'd like to spend road trips. But when I pick one, um, that dude can drive all day and all night and all the next day without a break. He's just like, I got this. Get over there. And calls me from his name and, and uh, just go to sleep, you dumbass whore. But anyways okay 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 you said it so all right the last name how how much fun is that last name for you your whole life it's been fun you know i mean let's face it i i I still remember when my dad would uh you know if we went out to eat and you walk up to the host stand and and he'd be like uh what's your name whore Uh, how many four four for whore and and the host would always be like you know, because the host is always some young uh, teenage girl, and and she looks up at my dad, and, and and my dad would just be like, "Yep, 
I said it. Whore. Okay. And then when they go to announce your name, you know, you're sitting there with, you know, for 20 minutes waiting for your damn spot to get seated. And, and <laughs> the best part would be to watch the host because the hostess would not dare to say the name. They would get the manager over every time. Manager would be able to, four for or, even the manager, more for or. Now, my, my you know, you, you got to embrace it, man. That's all there is to it. You got to embrace it. I'm a whore. I'm probably the only whore you're going to meet all day that's going to admit it. My wife's a whore. We're not going to talk about my daughters or I'll kill you. But um, anyways. Uh, all right. It's all good. <laughs> I, guess, uh, I, I, I guess that makes your mother a whore too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. My sister uh, was. My sister, I'm all right. No. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. I mean, what are you, uh, you going to do? I mean, the only name worse would be Dick Trickle, but, oh. Do you know my grandpa's name was Richard? No. So, for the <laughs> record, my middle, my middle name is Richard. Why didn't we know this five years ago when you were racing? Right. <laughs> this is why. <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. On uh, that note. On that <laughs> Brian, thank you. All right, Thank guys. You. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Keep up doing the good work, man. You guys are kicking it. It's awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Brian Hoare for being incredibly generous with his time for you and I, Justin, sat with us for, well, virtually sat with us for three hours. This, I feel like this would have been an incredibly fun interview had we done it in person. Yeah, Not that it wasn't video. fun. Yeah, no, but if everybody could see what we saw um, and just live that experience, that was, it was fun. It was cool. Really cool. He was, he was full of it that night um, in, in the best of ways. So that wraps up our first two part week with Brian Hort. We will be back next week with another guest. And you can hear about that guest on Monday mm-hmm. on the Facebook page, the Instagram, the Twitter, all that stuff. Well, we usually announce it at about 5 o'clock yep. at night, Eastern Standard Time, if you mm. will. You know, you can't even say night anymore because it's still light at 5 o'clock now. Isn't that nice? It isn't because the kids are far more reluctant yeah. for bedtime. You're right. Yeah. When it's still kind of light outside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, still we're usually they go down about seven seven thirty, and it's still dark out a little bit, so we're still okay. But I know that's going away in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. that's you got to get the full dark curtains in the room. And yeah, hope we for bought the best. blackout curtains for Evelyn. Yeah, that's the that's the the saving grace for us. We have them. The problem is the uh, they have a tendency to pull on them Yank. and pull the curtain rods out of the wall. Mm-hmm. So, but that's neither here nor there. Follow us. <laughs> on, so we're on social media, by the yeah. way. <laughs> and uh, we do a lot of batch recording, people. And we have recorded three opens and three closes so far tonight. And we are running out of things to say that doesn't we're sound punchy. exactly, exactly yeah. like we said in the uh, previous <laughs> episodes. So follow us. On Facebook and Twitter at Uncommon Deeds. 
Follow us on the Instagram at Uncommon Deeds Podcast. Drop us a like on the Facebook and all that stuff. Five star reviews on on your on your podcast platforms: Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever you listen to. Share it with your friends too. The uh, the word of mouth from all you guys listening and sharing has been awesome. So good. We are way way ahead of where we thought we would be, but that just makes us hungrier to keep going and expanding. And that's Mm going to give us opportunities, hopefully to do some more cool things, whether it be guests or, you know, we keep hinting at merchandise or whatever it may be. You know, now that we've got a taste of a midweek show, um, we've talked about doing some, some quick hitters on, on Wednesdays or Tuesday or whatever. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is really, but just something, you know, something different mix it up a little bit so keep an eye out for that and uh the best places to find out what we're doing is those social media pages so Mm -hmm. keep an eye on them until the next episode you have been listening to uncommon deeds